Welcome to Lectionary Mixtape. I'm your co-host, Daniel Eisenberg. And I'm your co-host, Ben Siebert. For those about to rock, we salute you. <laughs> Each week we take a look at the text, we talk about the text, and then we offer up a special musical offering related to those texts. This week, for the 14th Sunday after Pentecost, we're looking at Ezekiel 33, 7-11, Romans 13, 8-14, and Matthew chapter 18, verses 15-20. start with some jazz odyssey sounds good man all right jazz odyssey is the part of the show when we talk about the text in a freeform way all right so what do you got what's uh hitting your brain about these texts for this 14th sunday after pentecost um for me it's all about relationships uh mm-hmm. it's relationships between us and god and us and one another um and are re- and how those two are not separate things. The relationships we have with one another matter to God. And mm-hmm. so when we're talking about a relationship with God, we're also talking about a relationship with one another. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll get into it. That's, you know, spoiler alert, that's my turn it to 11 is leaning into, I think, specifically related to relationships is the tough conversations the tough conversations that we have to have with ourselves in terms of repentance and such, which I think really comes through in the Ezekiel readings, especially, uh, and a little bit in the Romans reading. Uh, and then also the tough conversations that we have to have with each other as we build Christian community together, uh, which especially comes out in the Matthew reading. I would argue it comes out in Ezekiel quite a bit too. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as we're realizing our wicked ways um, if we put ourselves in the the place of the people um, or in the shoes of the people I should say as we're realizing our wicked ways uh, we suffocate because of them Um, but God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked yeah and that's I mean that line in particular I think is really powerful and like we just kind of blast through that and like oh okay God wants bad people to repent and be good you know god would rather that Um, but i think the implications are really powerful um because like when i think of my enemies quote enemies and folks who are acting against god's will i think man god is god wants to destroy them you know like and there's a lot of passages in scripture that seem to imply that or at least the way that they can be read um and to throw on the brakes and say whoa 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 actually i'm probably reading into this like more than anything god wants us to be reconciled with god and with one another and so uh that desire for destruction maybe that's not shared with God right now or that desire for like that that would be regrettable I guess at the very least mm-hmm. yeah 
because a lot of times what can ring in our heads is the moments of scripture where God does cause the destruction, whether God is uh, flooding the whole earth or burning the fringes of the camp or wanting to uh, waste away uh, an entire nation. Um, And yet we have this as well. Mm -hmm. And so we get insight into, into how God feels or thinks or whatever word falls short of this experience um, in the in the moments when punishment and wrath are upon us mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely yeah and I, I've I've used the example before so I won't belabor the point but um, in the Passover Seder there's a part where you dip your pinky in the wine and you make ten drops to remember the ten plagues and one of the ways that that's interpreted is that it's a mournful act. Like we are remembering and regretting the fact that it had to come to the fact that these plagues had to happen, that, you know, people had to suffer and animals were killed and all of that. Like it's not a gloating thing. It's not a mere remembrance, but it's a man. I wish that there was another way that this could have gone down. And what I think this, passage says is that's how god feels like if there's ever a moment of destruction for the powerful and the oppressive god's mourning the fact that it didn't end a different way yeah and that's part of the the melody of this that i think really pulls through and matters in how we perform how we express um these words Whenever we see uh, the punishment of God, um, whenever we see uh, the, the justice of God, it is in mourning that we see people's lives being lost or people being shunned or people being set apart. And I think that's meant for us to embody as well. Like how many times do we make reconciliation or not even reconciliation, but just repentance more difficult than it needs to be for the one who has sinned? How many times do we make it a cold and isolating experience um, where most of the time you're you're repenting not just once, but you are forever in debt to another person until you can convince them that you want to change? Yeah. Oh, that debt language. That's a wonderful segue into the Romans passage. Mm-hmm. Oh, no one anything except to love one another. Yeah. And what if we think about that in both ways? I, I usually think of that passage as, you know, watch out, don't sin. Uh, because, you know, how maybe that also can refer to how do you receive the one who has sinned? To not hold that debt over their head forever and ever but to say, you know what, I owe you love right now. Hmm. And, and part of that feels imbalanced, right? And I want to recognize that. Um, if there is a perpetual sin, if there's a systemic sin, if there is a pattern of sin in any way, then to say, you know, have no debt of uh, repentance hanging over someone else's head might feel like a way to perpetuate that pattern. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's what we're going for here at all. I think what we are going for here is to give every opportunity for a person to be forgiven, for a person to actually change. 
and to help people along in that process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you do have those instances, like at the end of our reading in Matthew, um, where if that person still doesn't repent, if that person still doesn't come back, then let them be as a Gentile and a tax collector, which is an interesting phrase. Um, But like, and maybe that's the connection to the Ezekiel passage is that you have no choice at that point. You, you let that person go and you still hold out hope and you don't wish wrath upon them and whatnot. You regret and mourn and lament that it has come to this, that there wasn't another way to do it. You don't rejoice in that fact. We also don't abandon forever. Mm-hmm. In Ezekiel, the people of Israel are not abandoned forever, nor are they um, in Romans or Matthew. Mm-hmm. And there's, I mean, it's it's another passage to bring in. I don't know how preachable it is, but uh, 1 Corinthians 5 has this passage about um, there's somebody who's done some terrible things in the community, and it's just really torn the community apart. And Paul says, you know, I give them up so that hopefully um, their flesh can be destroyed and their soul can be saved, I think is how he phrases it. But it's this whole idea of like, you know what, they're, they're out of our hands, but we know that they're not out of God's hands. Um, like they can't be a part of this community anymore for the harm and the hurt that they've done and the lack of repentance and all of that. But we still hope and pray that God is with them and working on them and uh, forgiving and healing and growing them. Yeah. And I think that that text that you quote, I mean, the the language is very inflammatory, right? Give them over to Satan. Mm -hmm. Um, And and where many of us, our ears perk up and we're like, no, 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 that's bad. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And rightfully so. Um, Satan being the accuser um, makes me think of our Lutheran understanding of the law. Give them over to the accusing of the law. Give them over to um, the things that truly bring up all of the reflection that it possibly can. Um, Let them stand before their own sin as long as it takes for them to realize who they are. Yeah, and I think that that can be a powerful sermon to give voice to that experience of people in their everyday lives. Like I have met very few families where this is not the case, where you have friends or family or somebody who is just deeply toxic to that community. And when is it okay to sever those ties and feeling guilt about that because it says that you don't care about them. Um, I think about it, especially in abusive relationships. Um, I think about it in uh, families where somebody is bringing harm. And so I think that this could be a, the beginning of the work of freeing people to say, like, we need to, we can still love others, but sometimes it just doesn't work like we've really tried we've tried to make it work and they just won't repent yeah so we realized that you know in the words of um the text i guess the second reading a couple weeks ago so much just depends on us we live at peace with one another right Mm -hmm. so a certain amount depends on us and then a certain amount we just can't control 
And yet, um, this text just overwhelms us with how much we are to do, how much we are to be as people who both repent and turn ourselves and give every opportunity for another to repent and turn too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I mean, there is that, that incredible pressure that it, you know, that we are to live at peace with one another. But also there's a recognition that God is bigger than our efforts. That just because someone is no longer, whether by formal excommunication or somebody just declaring in a Facebook message that they're no longer coming to church or whatever it is, um, that they're still a part of God's church. Like they might not be a part of your congregation, but we can still hold fast that God hasn't let them go. And I think that can be a bit of a comfort, uh, whether it be in church communities or family communities or friendships, that type of a thing. I think that that can be helpful. I think a lot of us feel strained inside of our congregational relationships right now. And it's not often because anyone has done something grievous, uh, egregiously wrong, um, but it is because we are we are lacking those patterns where we would love one another, where we would be with one another and assure one another of that love in good conversation and prayer and support and words of affirmation um, as we share our lives before, during, and after the worship service. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's definitely a, a difficult time for all of that. In the, in the same way that Romans tries to tries to move the law into instead of a list of you shall nots into you shall um so love your neighbor as yourself being the the summed up word Mm -hmm. um i think that we can we can turn our experience of congregational life that we've had lately um from don't shake hands don't get too close don't breathe on one another into how do we fill one another, mm. love one another, be gracious to one another, be kind to one another, reach out to one another, um, talk with one another, meet with one another, to, to remember that in as much as these, these different parts that make the, the glue that holds us together feel different, as, in as much as they're important, they're also not the end goal. Our end goal is to continue to love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's, uh, I was thinking, and maybe this is a little too nerdy, but of Luther's explanation of the Ten Commandments, how he always flips it around. So it's not just, you know, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, but instead we are too. And then he basically says the opposite is like, we should assume the best and like start from a positive place and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I think that that can be a very simple way to think about it. Like we don't just avoid the bad, but we flip it around and work for the good. And I think that's very helpful. I think like you said, where most of the way that we care for our neighbors right now is avoid 
and don't do A, B, C, D, E, F, G things? And how do we lift up and celebrate the ways that we can actively love our neighbors and the way that people have been? Yeah, I think that that positive motion, um, that hopeful motion is super important right now. Mm-hmm. And I like that um, sort of related to what we were saying, too, is it's not I think the temptation can either be to uh, stay and perpetuate those unhealthy relationships and those destructive elements of a community and such, or the opposite is just be really itchy to get rid of them in the first place. And I love that Matthew, in a very explicit way, just goes step by step to say, first you do this one-on-one, then you bring a couple other folks, then you do, like, so, like, there's this intentional motion of a real attempt at reconciliation. And yeah. I really like that. And this is this is one of those moments of Matthew explaining individual um, reconciliation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and not necessarily public reconciliation. So when, when Christ goes and speaks out against the Pharisees, Christ has not done first go to the Pharisees, then take one with you, you know, then speak in public. Um, and when Christ speaks out against the Roman government, he does not do this pattern either. Um, and so I think sometimes we overapply uh, this particular uh, message in a way where um, the powerful speak out um, in ways against the people and the people constantly come to them one at a time. Um, so we're forever caught in a trap of we can't speak publicly because we're still trying to speak privately. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of good that happens here, too, when we're pushed into not just the fight, but pushed into the repeated opportunity to lift up one another, to have hope for one another. Um, if there is a sin against you, then there is also the opportunity for repentance and for forgiveness and for healing. A, a little textual note, this comes right after the parable of the lost sheep. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're hoping for. You know, what happens, though, when that sheep refuses to stick around or is messing with the other sheep? But what we want is to celebrate that. Yeah. That foundness. Now, I know we're, we're kind of towards the end of our jazz odyssey, but there are a few notes that I don't know how they fit into the melody. Uh-huh. Um, and one of them is kind of a, an, an ecclesial question um, of, I have found that inside the church, some of us are binding things and some of us are loosing those same things. Um, and so when we come to verse 18 in Matthew, whatever you bound, bind on earth will be bound in heaven, loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In my youth, I thought about like how the church stood on certain topics or addressed to certain things. And more and more, uh, I connect this to what we're talking about earlier in the text, which is people. And so it becomes both whatever um, in the, the sin and the event, but also whoever. Um, and and that, that scares me, you know, like never, never in, in the course of Matthew, are we talking about a sin or an act of blessing um, that's not connected to a human being? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what I think that can be a really, how do we read that of whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, uh, loosed on earth, loosed in heaven. 
Like, is it, all right, you know, Jesus just gave us the keys to the car. We're going to go out for the weekend. This is great. Or is it more of a cautionary thing? And I think what you're saying is leading it more a cautionary, like, hey, be careful. You know, what you bind, it has lasting uh, ramifications. This isn't just uh, at your whims. Like, this holds on for a while. I'm not sure if that's exactly it, but it's something I'm riffing on a little bit. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and there's this dynamic, right, of like, we're not the judge. Even in Matthew, we are never understood to be the final judge. Mm-hmm. And yet, the judge asks us to bind and to loose things with a heavenly impact. Mm-hmm. What is that? <laughs> yeah. And, and if anything, uh, I, I should say first and foremost, I am still unsure on, on what that means. But if anything, I err on the side of caution, being as gracious as I possibly can, hoping and knowing that God's grace uh, pours out on me as well. Mm-hmm. Turn it to 11. Let's do it. Hey, Ben, you know when you are playing and you want it a little bit louder, but you're already at a 10? Mm-hmm. Well, this one goes to 11. Yeah. So what are, you, what are you turning it to 11 for? What are you really leaning into and emphasizing? Uh, what's jumping out at you in particular about these texts? Yeah, I mean, I know we spent a lot of time on them, uh, but contextually and inside of um, all, all three of these texts, I find a push towards the hope that we have in repairing relationships. Um, and that repairing relationship is a, is a holy act. Um, but it can also feel like a weight. So I, I want to be able to give us space to, to see opportunities, to see energy, to see um, grace and joy in the midst of this process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm in a pretty similar vein, I think. For me, I think it's uh, focusing more broadly on tough conversations. And I think for the church, that's, how do we confront the sin of our society? How do we confront the sin of ourselves? How do we confront the sin of our churches? When some, like you were talking about a little bit earlier in the Jazz Odyssey about one person will say, well, this is something that needs to be bound. And someone else will say, this is something that needs to be loosed. Like when you have those disagreements and have those tough conversations. And to try and frame it in such a way that you respect and love the other person enough to have the conversation I think is really powerful um, but for me above all the anchor for it all is that declaration from Jesus that where two or three are gathered in my name there I am uh, because and I don't know about you but I've usually heard that as a oh like a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek when you hold a Bible study, but there's a rainstorm and it scares everybody off and it's you and two people or whatever. And someone will say like, oh, but remember, Jesus said where two or three are gathered, there I am. But the context of this is Jesus is there where two or three are gathered in the midst of conflict, in the midst of tough and difficult and painful conversations. There's this 
reassurance that Jesus is there with you. And he doesn't qualify it with how that gathering ends. If it ends with everybody coming to a consensus and repentance is had and reconciliation is had, or if it ends with somebody having to leave that community, Jesus is still with you. Um, and that's, that's what's powerful to me. And I love this unifying act of prayer mm-hmm. um, in 19 and 20, you know, uh, of if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it'll be done for you by my Father in heaven, which is great. I mean, there's so many times I feel like that I can't agree with my Christian um, uh, siblings in Christ on much at all. Mm-hmm. But when we do that work of maybe we agree to pray for one another. Maybe yeah. we agree to um, lift up one another, ask for the Holy Spirit to guide each other. We are unified in, in God's blessing, you know, for us and for all people. If we can pray for the world, if we can pray for those who are hungry, if we can pray for the poor, the sick, the orphaned, and the alien. Yeah, and especially at this time of isolation, to lift up the fact that prayer binds us together in Christ, mm-hmm. that we can continue to pray for one another, even if we can't see each other physically or only in limited capacity or wherever folks are at right now. Yeah. Kids bop. Yeah, let's do it. It's time for kids bop. When we take your favorite hits and we make them a little bit kid friendly. What do you got for your kids bop, Ben? Yeah. The the pattern of Matthew 18 is so blocked out that I think it's really good to act it out, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. And so like a little Sunday morning sketch time where one person can be, you know, the one who is upset. One person can be the one who is um doing bad things to others one uh, others can be the community or or anyone else and we can we can look at creative ways to do this how can we solve problems by ourselves when do we need to bring our parents in when do we need to bring uh, other adults in um, and and really talk about some really great things for for us and for others about how to solve problems yeah I like that I, this is definitely a very visual story I think that could be really good How about you? My idea is to get a whole mess of string or yarn or something and like sort of spread it out and have all the kids grab a piece, like hold on to it. Mm -hmm. And then say, okay, like sort of stand in the middle and have them form separate sides and say, Mm -hmm. okay, uh, hold on to the string. Whatever you do, don't let it go. Everybody who likes chocolate ice cream take a step to the left. Everybody who likes vanilla ice cream, take a step to the right. Everybody who, and just sort of going through all of that, you know, who likes basketball, soccer, whatever, and just like those kind of things. And eventually there's going to be enough uh, difference of opinion that it's going to get stretched out. Um, But maybe to talk about how the string is Jesus that binds us together. So like, even though it's we have different ideas about things and we have different opinions about important things. No matter what, Jesus is with us. Jesus is um, 
holding us together, at least in some way. Yeah. And especially when you're doing this with children, um, I like the idea... Oh, almost fell off my chair. I like the idea of, you know, someone's inevitably going to drop it. And we can use it as a teaching moment, you know? Mm -hmm. Like someone's inevitably going to get tangled up or bored or walk away. (laughs) Yep. And we can use that as a teaching moment too. Yeah. People are always welcome and sometimes they're going to wander off and do something else, but they're always welcome back, you know? Yeah, the string didn't disappear. Yeah. It's right there. I'll even help you pick it up. Mm Mm-hmm. Cool. Mixtape. Let's do it. You know, Ben, that reminds me of a song. Nice. Uh, do you want to go first or shall I? I'd love to. I'd love to. Go for it. Um, I have picked a song that, uh, once again, comes from my days of riding the school bus. Uh, and so this was, you know, one of those songs that I heard over and over again um, <laughs> around 6.45 in the morning um, as I rode to school. But, uh, but what was really cool about this song is it was energizing and hopeful. Um, it is called... Um, Meet in the Middle by Diamond Rio. Um, Diamond Rio is a, uh, is a country band um, that's got a really interesting backstory. This group, along with all other groups that we have on this podcast, is not an endorsement of everything they've ever done, but just our experience of the song. And so here, my experience of the song, Meet in the Middle, is one of just kind of positivity and hope. Um, The song covers uh, a relationship between two people uh, where they they meet one another by uh, kind of branching out and experiencing new things. Um, They they're able to solve problems between themselves by meeting in the middle Um, and the chorus. uh, You start walking. uh, No, I'll start walking your way. You start walking mine. We'll meet in the middle, neath that old Georgia pine. We gain a lot of ground when we both give a little. Ain't no road too long when we meet in the middle. This this song, um, man, that chorus is played just so many times. However, this song is is really cool, but I recognize it has some shortfalls. Not every time that we are uh, repent and forgiven um, is it a matter of compromise. Sometimes we're just wrong, and there's not anything for the other person to admit or confess to. Sometimes it is a matter of uh, mutual confession and mutual forgiveness. Um, so I recognize that this, this, this song doesn't do everything. But what I like about it is the hope. There is a trust and there is a joyful trust, a celebrated trust, um, in the process of repentance and forgiveness and moving towards one another, giving every opportunity for us to be together. Yeah, I like that. And even to reframe thinking of meeting in the middle, you know, I guess typically is that's you are finding a compromise between your two divergent ideas, but 
what if it's just the act of meeting is yeah. the maybe the the middle that we're finding is the middle place of our ego our pride in an effort to build genuine community and find reconciliation or attempt that yeah we, what if the the tree of the old georgia pine becomes the cross that we meet at you know Ooh. i see what you did there nah, i'm not <laughs> sure how i like it yet but it's there yeah cool how about you i went with give up by fka twigs and the 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 title is a little misleading um because it's about uh presumably uh one lover to another saying you know i'm not sure what's going on what i'm doing wrong but i'm not going to give up on you babe um Hmm. so the first verse in the chorus go tell me why i act this way tell me that i'll change someday i'll be the one that can satisfy you if i can rectify the few things i've got to change the few things in my way Uh, okay so i've said it before and i won't imply that you're not too close to the fact and the chorus goes just nod your head and get up i'm not gonna let you give up babe just nod your head and get up i'm not gonna let you give up babe And I like especially for the chorus part of that uh, about not going to let the other person give up. Uh, Actually making an attempt at reconciliation, I think, is really powerful. I think it's really easy, um, whether it be with our social media bubbles or uh, the way that we've divided ourselves on uh, certain ideologies just to not have the conversation uh and like you said it's not to necessarily find a middle ground oh i guess i'm a little right and you're a little wrong uh but to actually have the conversation and to have that respect for one another and to have that trust that jesus's love and binding presence is more powerful than the disagreements that we have um and yeah eventually what's maybe reverse it bound in heaven will be bound in on earth and loosed in heaven loosed in earth uh the right thing will come about and we can strive for that uh, and i'm not going to give up on you it's worth having the conversation we find what is best for us not in our separation mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely well well I think that's going to do it for us over here at Lectionary Mixtape. Join us next week as we dive into the 15th Sunday after Pentecost. Yeah, thanks for a good time. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.